0: You know, it's interesting when you think about, like, what a, like, I have an opportunity to speak from this platform one more time. What, what would I say? And uh, there have been a lot of things that have crossed my mind in the last few days in terms of um, ways that I can honor what God has done and to look forward to what he's going to do. And I want to I start, here, here's my plan. I want to start by kind of giving you some background of how we got to this point. I want to I remember the past a bit, and then I want to give you uh, some hope through the Scripture about why we're going and what the Lord is going to do in the future. So how do we get to this point? Well, a number of years ago, it's been about two, two, two and a half years ago now, a group of people, the, the leadership teams here at North Hills, began to ask the question, what do we think the Lord will want us to do in the next five years, in the next ten years? Just dreaming about the future. That's one of the things I love about this church: is a forward thinking. It's like, what what's on the horizon, and how are we going to be a part of that? How does God want to want to use us in the future? And, and one of those things, among many was we want to be a part of planting a church somewhere in the state of Wyoming. You know, when you think about the state of Wyoming, we're down here in the, in the, in the corner, you know, there's a state over here. I don't know what that is. There's, there's one down here. There's one over here. I, I don't care about those. It's not that I don't care like I'm a heartless person, but I, my heart doesn't race for those, those places. Why? Because this is my state. This is our state. And we said, you know, how can we be a part of planting a church in our state. We don't want somebody from the East Coast coming here and doing it for us. We don't want people from other parts of the world coming, not because we don't care about them, but, but this is our turf. This is our territory. And who better knows how to reach people in Wyoming than people from Wyoming? So we, we started praying about that a number of years ago and we said, you know, where would that be, Lord? Could you show us where, where we could plant a church? And there were lots of places on the, on the list. Um, places like Gillette, Sheridan, Casper. But one of those places that has been on the radar screen for a long, long time is Lusk. In fact, if you were to talk to Dick, way back in with the late 70s, you began to have... Dreams and hopes about planting a church in Lusk. You had a Bible study going there that eventually you thought would maybe turn into a church, and that didn't happen, but for a long time, Lusk has been on the radar screen in terms of how can we make a difference there. The statistics would say that over 65% of people there are outside of a relationship with, with God through Christ. Now, as the conversation went on, it... It shifted from how can um, how can I as a, you know, as a staff person here be a part of that to what are you going to do about that and the question that the Lord put on my mind and, and on our family's mind is who as if God was asking us who have I prepared better for this task than you who have I prepared better for this task than you and while there's lots of people that have lots more experience than I do and they're better communicators, they're better leaders, they're, they're better equipped for, for the whole thing. I, I felt as if everything that the Lord had done in, in my life, and many of you know that there have been, there have been a, lot of, a lot of obstacles that have come up in, in our lives. Everything that the Lord had done in our lives was leading us to this time and this place to, to plant Prairie Hills Community Church in Lusk. So we made that, uh, that official decision. Yes, Lord, we believe you're calling us to this. And yes, Lord, we're going to follow you. We're going to do this. We made that official decision a little over a year ago. And North, North Hills, the leadership teams were so gracious in saying, yep, we believe in you and we think that you can do this. And we want to be a part of, of sending you and launching you and partnering with you in what's happening in Niagara County and to me I, I'm so grateful for that partnership so grateful for the opportunity to have my roots here but to, to, to look forward to how the Lord is going to work and move in a place that's not far from here and I'm so excited to be a part of that with you. So how did that happen? Well, uh, in the fall of last year, we got the, the green light from the National Assessment Center saying, we, we, we believe that you have the tools to, to, to go and do this. And that was a huge shot in the arm for us to say, you know what, maybe, maybe not only the Lord is calling us, but maybe he really has equipped us with the, with the tools in our toolbox to go and do this. And then we, we began meeting. And as we began meeting, it started off just with a, with a monthly prayer gathering. We began to see people who when you told them about this idea, their, their eyes would kind of light up and they'd get a smile on their face and, and they would begin to, 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 to reinforce this, this thought, this idea that there is a need for a fresh voice of the gospel in Niagara County. And that confirmation started uh, just kind of getting our hearts beating faster for what God was going to do there. Now, we met through the, through the winter, uh, meeting monthly, having uh, prayer times and that kind of thing. And then about eight weeks ago, we began meeting weekly on Sunday evenings. And we've had over 40 people that have been connected with us. And on one, one evening, we had 19 children as part of, uh, part of this Bible study that we're having. And I'm just blown away that the Lord is, is, is bringing people to rally around this idea that the Lord has good things in store for the people of Niagara County, and I'm so, so happy to be a part of it. So looking forward, uh, we'll continue to meet on Sunday evenings at the fairgrounds in Lusk through the summer. And then this fall, when school starts, we'll be meeting uh, Sunday mornings at the high school auditorium in Lusk. And we're just absolutely thrilled about that opportunity and the partnership with the school to, to be able to meet there. Uh, we think it's a very strategic location right in the heart of the demographic that we want to, we want to reach out to. And uh, we can't wait for that to happen. The, the steps in the process that, that we need you to continue to pray with us about, our house needs to sell. And uh, they've shown it four times in this last week, which is awesome. There seems to be some interest in that kind of thing. But we haven't had an offer um, yet. Uh, So please pray for the sale of our home and pray for that that transition this summer. We feel like uh, the faster that we can get moved up there, the better in terms of Laying the foundations for for this fall when we start uh, meeting publicly. Also pray for the the opportunity that we have um, w- with this uh, disaster relief in, in Lusk and what that means in, in showing people um, what we're about. In that we aren't just we aren't just here to talk a talk. We we are here to put our hands on shovels and to help you in the most tangible, practical ways that we can. And so pray for us during this time to leverage this opportunity that the Lord has set in front of us. So that's where we're at. Now, here's as nostalgic as I'm going to get today. And that is this. Ty's top ten lessons learned at North Hills. All right? We're going to look at my top ten list. Number ten. Number ten. Don't look down on someone because they are young. Don't look down on someone because they're young. I'm so grateful for the fact that, that when I walked in the door here, uh, you know, my, my history is that I grew up in this church, and then I um, went off, Sarah and I were married, and we, uh, I, I worked as a youth pastor in Shadron and then in Cheyenne, and then we moved back here um, in 2006. 2006. And I'm so happy that when I walked in the door that, uh, that the leadership teams here, the pastors here, they, they didn't just look at me as a, a wet behind the ears, cocky young guy. They gave me a seat around the leadership tables and not, not, just, a, not just a title or not just a, you know, a vote, if it were. They valued my opinion and they believed in, in what the Lord had, had put in me and they valued that, and they respected that, and I'm so grateful for that. And I'm so happy for the fact that, that this church has a history of raising up young leaders and sending them off into the world, and I believe that God will continue to do that in the future as you value youth and, youth and children. Number nine, if you want a competitive game of disc golf, play with David. If you want an entertaining game of disc golf, play with Adam. If it's a huge lesson I've learned here. Huge lesson. Number eight, there's no substitute for great people. There's no substitute for great people. When we think about that, there is, um, it's, it's a joy to come to work, and it's a joy to come to church. Why? Because there's great people here. I think about the staff here that I've had the opportunity to work with, with David and Adam and Sarah, Michael and, and, and others through the years that, that have, have served here in, in, in different roles. Great people. People whom God has gifted. People who, who's, whose hearts are in the right place and they have the skills to back it up and to do incredible things in the kingdom. Great people. I think about the leadership teams here and the guys that... that, that I've had the opportunity to, to walk through some tough times with. I mean, let's face it, there, nobody ever wrote the instruction manual on how to lead a church through crazy things. I mean, we have the Bible, and we have great insight, and it's a foundation for all of our decisions, yes, but nobody ever said, here's the steps that you need to go through when this happens. And this is a group of guys that have walked through some very difficult things over the, over the course of, of the last, uh, you know, 10 years, let's say, and have done it with a level of integrity, a level of skill, a level of leadership that is of, of the highest quality, highest class, quality people. And I've just loved serving here with these quality people. And I think about the volunteers and the, the people who, uh, who say first, their first thought is, how can I help? How can I help? And there's so many people here that that's their first thought. How can I help quality, quality people? There's no substitute for that. Number seven, there's power when a church gathers together to worship the Lord, and I've learned that here. I learned that growing up. I was privileged to be part of leading that charge, and the people who, uh, who serve so faithfully to lead this congregation in worship are second to none. These are people whom God has gifted and talented just in, in musical ways that it just blows your mind. You you think in Lingo, Wyoming, really? That the Lord would gather a group of people that have this much talent and this much heart for leading a congregation in worship with a, with a level of excellence that's unexpected. It's very, very special. And I can tell you that, uh, that I love being a part of a church that gathers together to worship the Lord. It's a special, special privilege. Number six, If you're ever on a missions trip and you're being sucked out the door by a tornado, make sure that Adam is within arm's reach. I I learned that. Learned that. Some of you will know this story that we were on a missions trip to the to the reservation in South Dakota, and uh, um, uh, 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 we didn't know it, but a tornado was coming right through the, the, the the compound that we were staying in, and the wind was blowing and I needed to go outside to get this pop-up camper down and I opened the door and I began to be sucked out the door and I said to Adam, help, 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 help and reached out my hand and he grabbed me and pulled me back in just in time to see the roof on the building right across the way rip off and go flying away. What an unforgettable moment for sure. Number five, it's impossible for a church to over-invest in youth and children. That's something I've learned here. It's impossible for a church to over-invest in, in youth and children. Now, I'm a product of the children's ministry through, uh, through Sunday School and Iwana, and then through the youth groups. Uh, many of you will know that David was my youth pastor growing up. Um, and you think about the, the investment... Uh, in, in the lives of so many children and youth that have come through these doors and we've had the opportunity to to impact. It's staggering. And when you, when you think about that and the, the investment in that, you can never over-invest in children and youth. And that's something that is special, to see a church that says, uh, what will it take for us to make the biggest impact in the lives of Of children and youth, and you've done that. That's been your history. That's been your legacy. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Lord has so blessed this congregation over the years. Number four, there are certain things that can only be accomplished through faithfulness over many years. This is a lesson that I've learned from David. Um, David is unusual in more than one way, but Particularly in the in the fact that David is coming up on 25 years of ministering in one church, and that is unusual given the fact that the average stay of a pastor at at a church in the United States is somewhere around three. David's been here now for almost 25 years, uh, starting as a youth pastor and then as the as the senior pastor, and there are certain things that can only be accomplished by being in a place, in a position for a long period of time. There are doors that have been opened that would, no, that would never have been opened if there wasn't a level of trust and respect and integrity that has been, the foundations of which have been laid for now decades. And I think that's special and it's to be honored. Uh, number three, enforce a rigid rule of flexibility. <laughs> I learned this statement from Mark Baker working at camp one summer. Mark was famous for saying this and it has been modeled again and again and again around North Hills. Uh, I learned very early on you don't wear nice clothes when you come to work because you never know what you're going to be doing that day and it probably involved, it probably involved uh, any number of things, but it probably involved getting dirty in some way. All right? We enforce a rigid rule of flexibility. Number two. The church is made to play offense, not defense. The church is made to play offense, not defense. I'm so happy to be a part of a congregation that is moving the ball down the field, so to speak. In a culture where, I don't know the exact statistics, but hundreds of churches are closing their doors every Sunday and have been playing defense for now years. I'm so happy to be a part of a congregation that is moving the ball further down the field. And it's saying, we, we don't care what the, the opposition, we don't care what the, the hardships, we don't care what the challenges, we're going to move the ball further down the field. Why? Because we believe that when Jesus said that he's the hope of the world, that he really meant it. He really meant it. The church was never meant to play defense. I've got this saying that... Uh, now has been written on the whiteboard behind my, my desk uh, for over a year now. It says, The Great Commission is not sit and listen, it's go and make. The Great Commission is not sit and listen, it's go and make. And as someone who who has wrestled with that and believes that, that what Jesus is really calling us to do is still to go and make disciples, I I take very seriously this idea that we were meant to play offense. That Jesus still is using his church to take the gospel and to proclaim it to the nations. I take that very seriously and I hope that you do too. And I'm so glad that this is a, this is a church whose history is to play offense and not defense. And may God bless you as you continue to move the ball further down the field in that effort. And finally, number one. It's this. God is not dissuaded by population signs. You know, there's there's people who would say, well, you know, Lingo, Wyoming. Lingo, Wyoming. You look at the population sign and it's kind of underwhelming, can we be honest? You look at, at Lusk and you look at the population sign and while it's almost twice as big as the one out here, it's still underwhelming and people would say, well, you know, why? Why would you why would you invest there? Why would you why would you go there? Why would you bother? In that, a lot of work for not many people. God is not dissuaded by population signs. How many people uh, did Jesus pour into his his life into that, in, in turn, changed the world? Twelve. Do you think that that God is uh, if, if he could change the world with 12, twelve faithful men? Do you think that he could do it with a town? Do you think he could do it with a community? I think absolutely yes God is not dissuaded by population signs. And that's my that's my nostalgia. I told my wife I'm not going to be sad today. I'm not going to I'm not going to cry today. Does that mean that I'm not grateful? No, absolutely not. Does that mean I'm not going to miss you? No, absolutely not. So why am I why am I confidently standing up here and saying you know, this is the next step and the past is the past and we're ready to to step into the future. Why am I confident in saying that? Well, I'd like to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. There are some Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you and if you grab one of those, it's going to be on page uh, 1121. Romans chapter 10. And I know we're running long and I know we've got Stuff cooking, but this is my last opportunity. What are you going to do? Kick me out? I don't know. (laughs) Romans chapter 10. I will try and be as brief as I can, but I think this is so important. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. It starts out and it says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm just going to stop right there for a moment. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that when it says everyone, it really means everyone? Do you believe that when it says everyone, that it's talking about people that our culture has written off, that it's talking about people who, who uh, you know, you, you would never imagine in your wildest imaginations that they could ever be saved? Do you, do you even believe... That people who root for the tigers can be saved. Yeah, yeah. okay, I I had you, but then I said that. No, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe that? I do. I believe it with all my heart. Believe it with all my heart that no one is outside of the reach of God's amazing grace. Verse 14 says, How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news! A couple of thoughts. Number one, there is an end game. There is an end game, there's a goal. There's a win. There's something on the horizon that we're reaching for, that we're working towards. What is it? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the end game. I brought with me this, ran out into the edition out here, and I grabbed this. You know what this is, right? These are the the plans. They're they're tattered because they've been well used over the last months. What is this? This is the end game for, for, for the edition. You know, we didn't just start and say, okay guys, take your hammers, take your, here's some lumber, go get after it. No, we first sat down and we said, what's the end result? What, what's it going to accomplish? What's it need to look like? How much is it going to cost? What, what are the, the, the materials? What's the equipment that we need? And how are we going to get this done? There's an end game. And what you see out here is the process of working towards nothing to accomplish the end game. What we see here in the scripture is that there's an end game. There's a picture of the future, and that is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the end game. We don't go. uh, We we don't you know leave the comforts of a of a church that loves us and leave our home and leave the security of, of. you know all that we know and all of that kind of stuff without a plan what is the plan everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved we believe that but number two there's no end without the send and i'm so happy that that rhymes there's no end without the send so if the end game is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and you start working your way back, where does Paul arrive? He says, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? How, they, how then can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How then can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they pre- someone preach to them unless they are what? Sent. Unless they're sent. See, there's no end without the send. If the Lord is saying, everyone who calls on, on me will be saved, if that's true, and if we hold that up and we say that's the end game, that's what, that's what we want, then at some point he's going to have to say, well, who's going to go for me? Who's going to go for me? And for, for me, being driven by the fact that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, I have to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'm so glad to be a part of a congregation that says, you know, they honored that. that You could have squashed it really early and said, no, that's a bad idea. It could have been ugly, the transition. It could have been painful. But this was a church that said, no, you you know what? If, If you feel like that's what God is calling you to do, how can we send you? And what do you need? Whatever we can do, we want to resource you in every way possible. Why? Because there's no end without the send. What is today if not the sending? What is today if not the launch pad? What is today if not the beginnings of something that we can only begin to dream of what God is going to do? And then thirdly, I would say this. What may first be viewed as a sacrifice is ultimately significant. What may first be viewed as a sacrifice is ultimately significant. You see, that if you read in verse 15 there, as it ends, it says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It doesn't say how beautiful are the feet of those who accumulate a lot of stuff. It doesn't say, how beautiful are the feet of those who climb the corporate ladder. It doesn't say, how beautiful are the feet of those who... fill in the blank. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Some, some would say, well, why in the world would you sacrifice so much to go and do this? It just doesn't make sense. You're selling your house, you're moving your family, you're you know all of the, the the comforts and the stability that you have here all of that kind of stuff why would you sacrifice that and the, the the answer is because we believe that the most significant thing that we can do with our lives is being a part of everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved that that's beyond anything that we could accumulate, that's beyond anything that we could achieve, that's beyond any corporate ladder we could ever climb, that's beyond any newspaper accolades or any any press or any 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 kind of societal accolades that we could have. If the kingdom of heaven is if the population of the kingdom of heaven is greater because of our sacrifice, is that not significant? Isn't that not significant? And so you say, well, what first may be viewed as a sacrifice is ultimately significant. And friends, if I could challenge you, encourage you, you know, for us, maybe your sacrifice is not to move your family. And, you know, go, go, maybe it is. But maybe your sacrifice is to simply step into this End game, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved in your context, in the place where you work, in your family, in your circles of influence. Ultimately, what may first be viewed as sacrifice is ultimately significant. To close, I have just a couple of pictures to show you. Uh, This uh, is a picture of a town called Rupen, Norway. It's in, a, it's in this valley, and there's uh, mountains on three sides of it, you can see there. It's a town of about 3,500 people, and what's significant about um, this, this town is that for six months out of the year, from September to March, there is no direct sunlight in the valley. Because the, the mountains come up so steep on, on this side over here, the sun never actually gets up high enough over the mountain to give sunlight down into the valley. Well, for over a hundred years now, in 1913, they began making plans to bring sunlight into this valley. And in 2013, they, they built this. It's these... Go, go ahead back to that, that next picture. There. The, these giant mirrors... And they sit up on the opposite hillside, you know, across the valley, and they reflect the sunlight from the sun down into the valley. And they're, they're, they're pretty cool. They, they're motion track. They, they, they follow the sun. They adjust their angles and everything so that the sunlight from the sun goes down into this valley that six months out of the year, they never see direct sun, they, they never see the sunlight. Now... What's crazy is this next picture is from the, the day when they, rev- when they took the, the curtains off of the mirrors, okay? And the, you have to remember, this is still in Norway in the wintertime, and so you've got to know it's cold, but they had a beach party. And they've set up sand volleyball pits and, and, and all this kind of stuff and you can see the folks there and their, their attention is directed to the top of the hill where the sunlight is being reflected for the first time ever into the darkest parts of this valley where six months out of the year they never see the sun. Now, I look at that and I say there were probably people that opposed this project like crazy. Like crazy. They would probably say things like, well, those stupid people, they just built their houses down in the dark valley with serves them right not to have sunlight in the middle of the winter. I mean, if they were smart, they just move away. You, you can hear the opposition, you can hear the naysayers, you can hear all that. You can hear people saying, well, you're going to spend how much money? This costs millions of dollars. You're going to spend how much money and how much of the town is it going to light up? Is it even worse, it?" Well, let me tell you, to that group of people right there, do you think it's worth it? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the parallel, I think, that's so significant is that we have an opportunity to take the light of the gospel into a place that has darkness. And in a very similar fashion, I think that picture of people just celebrating and playing beach volleyball and that kind of thing I think is a beautiful picture of what it 's like when a community is changed through the, the actual the gospel of Christ to bring the light of the gospel into a, into a place that desperately needs it is, is, is worth the sacrifice it's worth the investment it's worth the, the sending and you know the, the, the heartache that you 're feeling today because you know, there, there's going to be a hole or what, whatever you 're feeling today. It's worth it. Why? Because we're bringing light to a place that's dark. And so if there's one thing that I can encourage you with today, it's that you are a part, you can be a part, of this really incredible opportunity that we have to be a part of something so significant, the most significant thing that any of us could ever invest our lives in. And that is, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we're going to close the service. I know we went long. I know. um, I'm I'm sorry. Kick me out. I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, Adam uh, and the team are going to lead us in in, in this final song. And I love this song because it it begins with the words, all the poor and powerless. And and it begins to, to walk through the fact that there's hope that's found through new life in Christ. And um, as we close the service, the ushers are going to come forward. And uh, please remember to drop those connect cards in the offering plate as it goes by. Remember after the service to, to go stop by the, the table out there and sign up to volunteer um, up in Lusk. In the next couple of days, there's a sign up out there. And we hope to see you downstairs for, uh, for the dinner. But let's stand to our feet as we uh, close with this final song.